Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Those were the loons again. Aren't they beautiful? Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, cuckoo. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Hello, my fine feathered friends. Fine feathered friends. They might, yeah, they might not all be feathered out there, but I'm sure there's a few feathered friends. My voice is still uh, a little croaky from, from the cold that I've had, so bear with us, please. I may not be as wheezy as I was last week. Thank goodness it was a light show. <laughs> you right? Yeah. 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 And uh, mine's doing pretty good now. My mind back up to my squeals. Your and, uh, usual squeaky pitch. self. Uh, the views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on any of the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the darker side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Anaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Yeah, and don't forget to roll up the rim this week. That's right. Chomp, chomp, chomp. Glug, glug, glug. Uh, this is episode 60. Woo! That's 10 more than 50. It, it is, yep. and, and 50 more than 10. Correct. Yeah. See that on the math I just did? So we're back from last week's Q&A episode with a bit of a strange case oh, this week. I love strange cases. We're off to Duncan, B.C. on Vancouver Island to learn about the disappearance of an enigmatic man named Granger Taylor in 1980. And we were having a, a Duncan conversation in the Yumber Yard the other day, so how topical. Interesting, right? Yeah. And we did mention Duncan on the after show. Yes, uh, we did. As having the world's largest hockey stick. We did. It's it's become, Duncan's becoming quite the topic of conversation on Dark Poutine. Granger's tale is the subject of a new CBC documentary called Spaceman by Alibi Entertainment that aired on CBC Docs POV on February 8th, 2019. If you missed it, you can stream it for free in Canada on CBC Gem at watch.cbc.ca. We don't know when or if there will be a release of the documentary outside of Canada, but it's a story that's had a lot of international attention over the years, so most likely it'll happen. And CBC makes some outstanding documentaries. Absolutely. Here's audio from the trailer for the Spaceman documentary by Alibi Entertainment. I went out on the deck of the boat and sat out there 
for half the night watching, looking up in the sky, wondering if the spaceship was going to come and drop Granger off. He's been described by many people as a mechanical genius. Hey kids, we're going to build a spaceship. Everybody's going, yeah. Granger was very adamant that there had to be more. There couldn't be just us. He said, they're coming for me today. And I said, who? He was so happy that he felt they wanted him. This is quite a fascinating part of Canada and certainly is UFO central to many people. We have simply no idea what this object was. And uh, that spaceship sat right here. There was a lot of searching done, looking for Granger. We had no idea where, where he would have been. One day soon, he will walk in your door just as though he had never left. This guy's still alive, you know? Yeah, you could find out what this all about. Spaceman. That looks outstanding. You know, and pretty clear when talking about spaceships and UFOs and stuff that that's a big component to it. But it seems also like it's really just kind of a, a un unresolved, unsolved disappearance. Well, we'll get into that. Just from that standpoint alone, it looks fantastic. Fantastic. Add UFOs into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were lucky enough to snag an interview with Jennifer Horvath. She's the executive producer of the documentary Spaceman, and we'll have my interview with her in the second half of the show. Yeah, I can't wait. Cannot wait. Uh, I've talked about how I'm not a believer in supernatural or paranormal stuff, but UFOs are the thing that I, I, I put some uh, credence into. I think probably like 99% of the stuff we see is quackery, but um, I absolutely believe that there are UFOs. So take that, listeners. On November 29, 1980, 32-year-old mechanic and inventor Granger Taylor disappeared. His mother Grace and stepfather Jim found a bizarre note tacked to a bedroom door of their farmhouse in the small town of Duncan, B.C. on Vancouver Island. The note read, Dear Mother and Father, I have gone away to walk aboard an alien spaceship as recurring dreams assured a 42-month interstellar voyage to explore the vast universe, then return. I am leaving behind all my possessions to you as I will no longer require the use of any. Please use the instructions in my will as a guide to help. Love, Granger. On the rear of the note was a crude hand-drawn map of nearby Waterloo Lake, a 48-minute drive south of the home in Insominus Lake. Granger's will had been altered in an odd way too. In his handwriting, he changed the words in the event of my death, replacing the word death with departure. Taylor's 1972 Datsun pickup truck and some dynamite the family was using to get rid of stubborn tree stumps were the only things missing along with Granger. He'd left all his possessions, including $10,000 in cash that he'd saved and his passport. 
That night, a massive windstorm ripped through the area, causing trees to uproot, property damage, and power outages across Vancouver Island. The last time Granger Taylor was seen, he was leaving Bob's Grill at 6.30 p.m. that evening. He was a regular at the diner for years, so this was not at all unusual, and no one noticed any behavior that was out of character with him that evening. Linda Barron, who worked in the kitchen at Bob's Grill, saw Granger that night. She said he'd been wearing a brown knitted sweater with a zipper in front. Underneath, he wore his ever-present black t-shirt, jeans, and logger boots. Granger was not wearing his usual winter jacket. Interestingly, Jim, Granger's stepdad, found the coat a few days later in the doghouse that Granger had built for his Newfoundland dog, Lady. Once Granger was reported missing, Local RCMP searched the hospitals, roads, ferries, logging roads, and forests near Duncan, but there was no sign of him. It wasn't until 1986, six years later, near Mount Prevost, 26 kilometers to the north of the family farm, that a group of forestry workers came across the site of an explosion. RCMP investigated finding the remnants of a Datsun and fragments of bone. Although DNA testing was years away, a BC coroner's inquest later determined the bones to be that of Granger Taylor. They also determined that at some point, an explosion had been caused by the dynamite that had been in the truck. Granger's mother also identified scraps of clothing that had been found at the blast site. It was unclear whether the explosion was accidental or intentional. Holy crap, that is uh, quite interesting. Well, it gets much more interesting. Really? Because that could be it. And it's already quite fascinating because I don't understand how they can determine that the bones were his without DNA testing. Uh, I get that the mom can identify some articles of clothing. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Granger Ormond Taylor was born in Vancouver Island on the 7th of October, 1948. When Granger was just a little boy, his father went missing. Granger's dad accidentally drowned while out fishing near the family's getaway, a small cabin along Horn Lake, west of the community of Qualicum Beach. His body was never recovered. Jeez, that's got to be difficult as a child. Yeah, to lose your father yeah. when you're very young. Yeah, yeah, jeez. Granger was shy and he missed his dad. But his mom soon remarried to a kind man named Jim who had already had children of his own. Together, their blended family began to grow. That's nice. Granger didn't like school much. He dropped out in the eighth grade. That in no way spoke to his intelligence. He was smart. He loved to take things apart and see how they worked and had an aptitude for anything mechanical. He could fix pretty much anything. Hmm, I like this fella. Although he went to work as an apprentice for a local auto mechanic after he left school, he only lasted about a year there. Hmm. Granger was better suited to work on his own, and for the rest of his life, he was self-employed. Oh, wow. He took on all kinds of projects fixing things for folks. He taught himself to be a more proficient auto and heavy machinery mechanic and a welder. A very resourceful fellow. He loved what he did and always had his hands moving on a challenging mechanical project. Most of those who knew Granger thought that with the right education, he could have become a successful mechanical engineer. 
Some called him an eccentric genius. You know, some people though don't want the the title. They don't want the degree. They just they just, just want to yeah. They just want to do. They just want to be out there getting their hands dirty and tinkering and, and just enjoying life. And ultimately, that's kind of what it's about. Is are you enjoying your life? If so, and you're not murdering people, great. There you go. When Granger was only 14 years old, he built a single cylinder car from scrap parts he had laying about, and others he manufactured on his own. 14. Jeez. That was put on display in Duncan's Forestry Museum. Um, I'm trying to think what I was doing at 14 years old. A drinking and chasing girls. A 14? No, I think I was probably still watching the monkeys and picking my nose. Oh, I was drinking and, play, and chasing and girls. Play, and playing video games on my Sega. You had a Sega? Yeah, I was a Sega, not a Nintendo game. I'm a few few years older, so I had an Atari. Well, I, of course, I had a 2600. I, yeah, yeah. I, I had that the famous E.T. game. There you go. <laughs> So Granger was doing a lot more with his life at 14. <laughs> the moral of the story, we were very unproductive. <laughs> yeah. Granger also grew into a very large man. He was 6'3 and weighed about 240 pounds. Oh, wow. Although he loved to wrestle with his smaller friends for fun, he never wanted to hurt anybody. Gentle giant. Well, in the late 60s, he acquired the nickname Gentle Ben, oh. taken from the TV series of the same name starring Ron Howard's younger brother, Clint. Clint played a boy who had a pet grizzly named Ben. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't re- Do you remember this show? That was Ron Howard's younger brother? That is Ron Howard's brother, yes. I loved, I loved this show. I, I absolutely loved the show. Alike. Had no idea that no. was Ron Howard's brother until this moment. There you go. Wow. You're welcome. This is like getting an education tonight. <laughs> In 1969... Granger found an abandoned locomotive deep in the woods where it had been abandoned during the Great Depression. He set about clearing a trail to free the steam engine from its overgrown prison. Wow. With much determination and a lot of hard work, Granger managed to get the train back to the 21-acre farm he shared with his folks. That is not easy to do. No. The property became a junkyard of parts Granger was using for his various projects. And there he set about restoring the rusted hulk of a train. Wow! Yeah. After two years of toil, Granger had the locomotive running again. This cat is wicked. The province of British Columbia bought the steam engine from Granger in 1973. It toured the province briefly before also ending up in the BC Forest Discovery Center in Duncan. This guy is like a total inspiration, man. Yeah. Like, wow, What I, I would love to... Like, A, just find an abandoned uh, locomotive, and then to be able to make it work. Yeah. I can barely fold a paper airplane. I can't get fitted sheets on my bed. (laughs) Like, what the hell? Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Granger was not only interested in ground-based vehicles, he became obsessed with flight. Of course. He wanted his own plane. So Granger purchased the remains of a World War II vintage Kitty Hawk warplane that was nothing much more than rotted out fuselage at the time. Again, the talented Granger restored this plane back to tip-top shape. I'm becoming jealous of Granger. Right. He went from admiration to, damn you, you're way too good. After he disappeared, uh, his family later sold the plane oh, for wow, quite okay. a substantial amount. My goodness. And he's a fascinating dude. Like, he's just making money out of nothing. Well, he's making stuff out of nothing. Well, Things but what I mean, like, it's like here's a empty, old, rusted-out locomotive. Yeah, I made it work and sold it. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's pretty cool. Profit. 
Uh, local kids and young folks loved Granger, and they started to hang around with him, and uh, they came around because they wanted to play with his uh, very large toys. Yeah, like, as, as kids would. Know, all that machinery and cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, people would hang out. Some would drink and smoke a bit of weed, mm-hmm. mostly just harmless partying. Sometimes they'd take LSD, Granger included. Oh, no. We were unable to find any evidence of Granger having had any girlfriends uh, who were anything other than platonic. Uh, I guess his shyness and eccentricity probably kept him solitary. Yeah, you know, there was no Tinder back then. No, and his sister later said that she felt he was just a bit lonely and maybe different. It's, even nowadays, that's still quite common. Yeah. Uh, Vancouver Island and the Duncan area are known for UFO sightings. In the mid to late 20th century, especially. I didn't know Duncan was so popular yeah. with UFOs. In 1970, there was a reported sighting of a UFO outside a hospital that had taken place on New Year's Eve in 1969, as told by Henry McKay. Hmm. Henry McKay was the first director of MUFON Canada and was a Canadian ufologist, uh, which is the UFO investigator. Mm-hmm. And he specialized in physical traces of UFOs. Yeah, I... I, I... I'm sure I'd recognize this guy's face. Mr. McKay's niece, Michelle McKay, uh, who can be found on Twitter under at Paranormal4, that's the number four, and you, and that is the letter U, so it's at Paranormal for you. She was kind enough to allow us the use of the audio of Henry McKay describing this BC nurse's account. Oh, wow. Uh, The audio is taken from a cassette tape of one of Henry's talks and is labeled UFO Talk HHM, and there's no date on it, but we presume uh, it's somewhere in 1970. Mm. Uh, I cleaned it up the best I can. Uh, If you can't make it out, I will post the text of the entire tape in our show notes on darkpoutine.com so you can you can read them oh, and, handy. Thanks, and read the account a little better. Yeah. But uh, anyway, here is the audio. And again, I apologize for the quality, but we're doing the best we can with what we have here. And it was the 70s. Exactly. A number of years ago, a nurse in an intensive care ward at the uh, district hospital in Kuchikan in on Vancouver Island observed an intense light shining in out in the hall from a patient's room. Now the patient at that time should have been resting with the lights off and the nurse off, but the, somebody had left the lights on, and she went down to the room to turn the light off. Then she realized on entering the room that the intense light was coming in the window. So she walked over in the intentions of drawing the drapes. When she looked out, hovering at eye level, within 80 feet from her building, because it was between the, the children's wing of the same hospital was a hovering UFO. She reported that she was stared in amazement and was mesmerized. She said, this object was hovering there and it contained two creatures. And she said, one sitting behind the other. She said, the one sitting in the rear turned slowly and looked directly at her. Then that creature reached forward, placed his hand on the creature sitting in front, and the creature in turn reached down and moved the lever. She was questioned closely about this, 
the chief said she could see the interior of the craft, and when he reached down and moved that lever, the vehicle tilted, and she could see a greater area of this craft. She said inside she could see some sort of a control panel, and these two humanoids were sitting on tall stools, like a child's seat. Then the craft started moving slowly away, and then she realized she should get other witnesses, and she yelled to the other nurses on duty, and they came running down the corridor. Unfortunately, the ones just saw the light moving off in the distance, and another nurse ran down, I believe, was into a small washroom that had a, a window that had a view of the area where the object was disappearing, and she saw the light disappearing in the distance also. Now, here's a, a nurse, I'm not sure, would be quite competent in observing something of this nature and reporting it. This is one case that's happened out in BC, and other cases have been reported across Canada. There you have that. Hmm, interesting. Um, oh, yeah, um, I, I, I struggle with eyewitness things because uh, other nurses said they saw something flying away. So I, I, like, you really want to believe that somebody saw it's something. It's pretty fantastic to have, uh, to claim to have seen, like, two actual alien creatures in their well, craft. Well, that's kind of like, in my skeptic mind, I believe that, yeah, maybe she, there was, like, an like, be it a helicopter or whatever there, but, like, I don't know if you've ever had a bright light shining in your face to be able to see beyond that in intricate details, like consoles and stuff like it's pretty difficult. But we weren't there. So but we, we weren't know. there. And there was some object because other people saw it. So like that. Oh, I love that stuff. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Yeah. 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 I, I, I struggled being a skeptic with UFOs because I'm just so fascinated by them that sometimes I just put my skeptic hat away and just like, yeah, let's do this. So Granger Taylor was interested in UFOs as well. Mm -hmm. Once films like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Star Wars hit, Granger Taylor became obsessed with UFOs and space. And if you don't like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, just stop listening to our show. I love that movie. It's just one of the best. Using junk that he'd found uh, at the dump, Granger began to build his own spaceship replica in the yard of his home. More like a complex tree fort than a UFO, Granger used two satellite dishes as the top and bottom of the UFO, and he kitted the place out with seating, a couch, and even a wood-burning stove. Hey, this is Granger. Like, it, you, I'm waiting for you to say, and then he, this was a working UFO, and it took off, and he could, like, because he's, like, that good. Well, Granger and his friends began to party in his UFO replica. Yeah, as you would. All the while, Granger was pondering just how actual UFOs were powered, because he wanted to build a real one. Yeah. You know? Go get it, Granger. Granger often slept in his UFO, reading obsessively about the subject. His books included Frank Edwards' Flying Saucers Here and Now, From Outer Space, Black Holes, and Auto Binders, What We Really Know About Flying Saucers. I would absolutely sleep in my UFO if I had a UFO. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to build a Millennium Falcon in the oh, backyard. Oh, that's but, brilliant. But my dad would not have any of it. Buzzkill. <laughs> the summer before he disappeared, Granger's LSD use became more frequent. He felt it opened doors of communication not otherwise available to humans. That, that, I can imagine that happening with LSD. 
He started to claim that he was having regular communication with aliens. Okay. In an interview, Granger's friend Bob Nielsen said, and I quote, He said it happened when he was in bed. He lay there and got mental communications with somebody from another galaxy. He couldn't see them. I said they can't just be mental, but he said it was like they were talking just to him and to his mind. He was asking questions about the means for powering their crafts. The only thing they would tell him was that it was magnetic. Yeah, so if you're taking LSD and you think things are talking to you, I'm tending to believe maybe that's LSD. There are claims that LSD does open actual okay. doors. Okay. You know, who knows? Yeah. And maybe he was on track with the fact that uh, UFOs were powered somehow magnetically. Well, that does sound like that would be something plausible. Sounds like some good science there. Exactly. Great. His sister, Grace, yeah. told a vice reporter, uh, Tyler Hooper, that Granger was taking acid a few times a day during the last few months before he went missing. Okay. So that'll have an effect on you. Uh, some people believe that thanks to the hallucinogens, Granger had lost his grip on what was actually going on. It's a possibility. It is a possibility. Granger was talking nonstop about the upcoming 42-month interstellar voyage he was about to embark on with his newfound friends. Yeah, well... Around a week before he disappeared, he even held a going-away party for his pals. Cool, Because cool. I'm going, you know, I'm going to space for 42 months. He so. certainly seems uh, very uh, convinced of this. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them wanted to believe him. Others thought he was just kidding, and some people thought he was nuts. Yes, I would be one of those three. Yeah. On the night before he disappeared, Granger spent some time with his stepfather, thanking him for being so kind and treating him just like his own son. Oh, he's a good guy. This is so far, it's absolutely clear. He's a good guy. The next day, Granger was gone. Huh. At the end of May 1984, Grace and Jim hoped against hope that Granger would make his triumphant return after his 42 months aboard an alien spacecraft. But he didn't come home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though in 1986 the blast site was found with bits of a truck and what may have been Granger Taylor, people still have questions, and that still, as yet, mm -hmm. remain unanswered. I have questions. Did Granger blow himself up intentionally? It's one of my questions. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. If so, well, why would he? I don't. I don't. I don't think it would be intentional. I don't get if he did blow up. If that is him in there, I don't think it would have been intentional. His family and friends who knew him well claim that he was the furthest thing from suicidal. Yeah. Although he was talking about aliens and those kind of things, there but was never not, yeah. any suicidal ideation yeah, or anything like that. Yeah, that doesn't... Yeah, hearing and seeing things like that does not necessarily equal suicidal. No, not at all. Not at all. Was Granger's death, as some people think, faked by him just to escape his life for some reason? I, I don't envision him being somebody who would like either kill somebody to get their to put their bones in there or or dig up a body or something that doesn't seem like that would be the kind this kind of fella yeah although i mean again like i've, I've known him for about half an hour exactly <laughs> some have speculated that granger was actually picked up by aliens who blew up his truck to hide the evidence of their being there at all okay i i, I do think though like intelligent beings might have like a, i can't see okay so what we're gonna do is we're gonna get some dynamite we're going to put it under your truck. You know, they would just like beam you up. Sure. Or just say, hey, come well, on. Well, maybe beaming up isn't an actual real thing, though. Okay, we'll land and open your space door and be like, hey, come on in. Your space door. <laughs> and some people think he might have been schizophrenic, but schizophrenia doesn't 
uh, usually yeah. show up that late in life. And he had no symptoms yeah. of psychosis other than uh, believing that aliens were talking to him. But how much of that was with psych- because of psychedelics? Exactly. That, that, I'd be more inclined to go with that. As I am personally aware that yeah. psychedelics can cause uh, psychotic breaks. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, as I've had one. Did you talk to alien? You may I, have. Yeah, <laughs> well, let's not get into that. <laughs> that. Let's leave that a mystery for now. Oh, a mystery. <laughs> we'll never know the real answer about what happened to Granger, but wherever he is, I hope he's traveling well. Yeah, absolutely. He seems like just a wicked dude. So we'll take a quick break, and then we will be back with my interview with executive producer from Alibi Entertainment, Jennifer Horvath, and she was in Toronto, and I was sitting in Vancouver, and what amazing technology made us seem like we were sitting in exactly the same room. It was pretty fantastic. 2019, bitches. 2019. I can't wait to hear this. I'm excited. All right. And we're back. So here's our interview. All right. Um, thank you to our guest, executive producer Jennifer Horvath, for braving the Toronto winter to come in and chat about Alibi Entertainment's most recent documentary, Spaceman. Thanks so much for having me. Spaceman is the story of enigmatic inventor and talented mechanic Granger Taylor, who disappeared from outside Duncan in 1980. And Granger left a note claiming he was going on a 42-month odyssey aboard an alien spaceship. Pretty interesting stuff. It, it is pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it, like he wrote his own intro. Yeah, exactly. It was just, it's pretty fascinating, that, that note. Yeah. Um, uh, before we launch into chatting about Spaceman, please tell us a bit about yourself, Jennifer. What was your path into the entertainment biz? Well, it's kind of a, a circuitous one. I grew up in a family where we actually were not really allowed to watch television. Oh, wow. Um, and both my sister and I are now television producers, <laughs> so that tells you something. There's a little um, irony there. Exactly. But we, uh, so, I, you know, it wasn't really a medium that I grew up with mm-hmm. um, or really had ever thought about working in. Um, I thought I would be a, a English literature professor, um, but I found myself unemployed and, uh, exactly, and one thing led to another and I, I ended up with a job at a large production company and I loved it. And oh. so here I am. So what was your first project maybe? Do you remember? Yeah, I do. Actually, the very first show I worked on was a tween show called Flash Forward. Oh. And... Um, the stars of it uh, were two people. One is uh, Jewel State, who then went on to be in Firefly. Mm-hmm, yeah. And the other was Ben Foster, who... Oh, my um, gosh. I know, amongst other things, was briefly engaged to uh, Robin Wright. Ben Foster's one of my wife's favorites. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's amazing because, you know, even as kids, they obviously had talent and, and they've managed to sustain those careers. So it's really amazing. Um, and Ryan Gosling actually was a guest star on so that series. So a big nobody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Holy um, smokes. Yeah. So that was the very first show that I did. And I worked in scripted TV for about five years. Um, okay. And the last show I did was called Peter Benchley's Amazon, which was uh before Lost, it was about a group of uh, white people who survive a plane crash in the Amazon oh, jungle. Neat. Yeah. 
Um, and is that based on a true story? Or that's was... right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, and uh, and then I started working in factual entertainment, so uh, documentary mm-hmm. and lifestyle television. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Cool. Tell us a bit about Alibi and how long has that company been around? What kind of things do you do? Right. Um, Alibi, I think, is six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, founder James Hislop is a guy who uh, has had a very storied career, but he most recently was a director of um, commercials and then also factual shows, like a lot of discovery shows. and. Okay. He had some ideas for shows that he wanted to make himself, and he he decided that he wanted to open a company that would be the kind of place that he always wanted to work at. <laughs> and I think he's done that. He's you know, uh, it's a relatively new company, but we've done a number of shows for Food Network Canada and HGTV, yeah, um, History Television. And we have a lot of digital projects that we do as well. So Spaceman is our first documentary for CBC. Mm -hmm. um, And we have one also for uh, TVO that's coming out this year. Oh, can you tell us what that is? Yeah, it's actually, it's about the gold rush in Ontario. Oh, fascinating. In northern Ontario. It actually is. There is all kinds of stuff that I had never heard about. And, you know, Timmins, Ontario, places like that are really based on this gold rush that happened in the early uh, 1900s. So it's really interesting. So let's get into Spaceman. Yeah. How did Alibi become aware of Granger's story? Tyler Hooper, who is a journalist based on Vancouver Island, Hmm. wrote a piece for Vice. Yep about uh, Granger and Tyler, you know, being from the area that Granger was from, this was a story that he had sort of heard about and he was always interested in. And so we read Tyler's piece Mm -hmm. and we're also... is excellent, by the way. It it is excellent. Yeah, it's available online, so people should definitely uh, go and read it. Um, We read the piece and just started looking into it a bit more and realized that this was a story that had never been covered mm. in by television. And not every story is interesting enough to make for an hour or two of TV. Um, yeah. But once we got into the research and, and really started understanding more about Granger, we saw that there was for sure a, a documentary here. Yeah, for sure. This is one of those stories that I was surprised actually got by me. Um, um, people have been sending them to me recently, but that's, I think, because you folks are making some noise in the news. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, it's, it's super fascinating and, uh, um, interesting that this, this fellow did the things that he did. He was, I mean, he was a really interesting guy and someone, you know, I've, I've said this before, but he's sort of very much a product of Vancouver Island in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he grew up in Duncan, which was kind of a, like a logging fishing town. It yeah. was very much like a frontier kind of place um, and grew up with men in his family who were hunters and fishers, but also people who knew how to build stuff. Yeah. And he learned how to build stuff and then taught himself to do things that nobody else around him knew how to do. So like like what kind of things were were you surprised by about him? Well, we uh, he has a couple of really impressive um 
products that are still around, one of them was a steam engine that he found abandoned in the woods. It had been left there by a logging company. Mm-hmm. And he got it out of the woods and it, you know, it was covered in moss. It had trees growing out of it. It was completely non-functional. And he uh, brought it back to his his family's property, completely rebuilt it. And it's a functioning steam engine now. So he built some track for it on their property, and he would steam up and down uh, with letting people ride on it. And and the engine is now in the uh, BC Forest Discovery Center. It's still there. That's very cool. Yeah. And then he also (laughs) built uh, this World War II plane, uh, again, completely from scrap, he found a piece of the fuselage that mm. had been abandoned, and he took that and, and said that he wanted to build the rest of the plane. And so he used all kinds of scrap metal, like Coca-Cola signs that he'd gotten from the gas station and uh, refrigerator doors, and welded these things all together. Um, he didn't have any plans he didn't he didn't have a pilot's license but he built yeah. a, a fully functioning airplane wow i have a hard time boiling water yeah I mean. no exactly <laughs> exactly um and and this plane was eventually sold to a collector who flew it and uh as part of the research for for the film we managed to track this plane down and uh talk to the person where it's now on display at a uh Aeronautical Museum in North Dakota. Oh wow! Yeah, that's very cool. That yeah. these these things are are so impressive that they're in museums now. It, it really is. So, um, Granger appeared to be a much loved character in Duncan. I've watched your documentary, and and it's 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 awesome how you had so many people who were willing to talk about him. Mm-hmm. Um, was it difficult to gain the trust of family and friends there? Um, his family was understandably concerned about the approach that we were going to take. I mean, this is a story that's been sort of circulating around for almost 40 years. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of speculation. Uh, you can go on the Internet and, and read about the case. And so I think they were concerned that um, we were going to approach the story with the seriousness mm-hmm. that that they would like to see it treated with. So um, once we were, you know, we spent a lot of time talking to them before we went out there to film. And it, I think that once they got to know us and understand that, you know, we weren't there to prove one theory over another and we just really wanted to hear Granger's story, yeah. then they were um, they were able to open up to us. That's really cool. That's That's sort of the way we approach our show as well. We don't we don't want to theorize on what happened or um, any of that kind of stuff. We we're more interested in how it affected the community and the victims and and those kind of things. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we're very simpatico in that way. Yeah, and so that's why I thought that uh, this documentary might be a great fit for us to have a chat about because your approach is exactly um, exactly aligns with ours. Awesome. Um, <laughs> Did you have any real challenges during production there in Duncan? Um, I, I mean, it, it was, in a sense, there was so much material to get through. The family had an incredible archive of photographs, um, mm. newspaper articles, uh, pieces of um, 
home movies, things like that. And then we also wanted to get hold of the police records to look at the original right. investigation, the coroner's report, um, all of those things. So though I, I, you know, it's difficult to obtain those kinds of documents. So it took a lot of persistence to get mm. them, but but we did. So you had to do like freedom of information. That's and, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I find that stuff is is quite a slog. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, we had an amazing research team at our office, but it was a team yeah. of people who had various kind of specialized skills yeah. to look for that stuff. It definitely shows with the uh, amount of research that clearly went into your documentary. Yeah. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Excuse me a sec. Um, did you learn anything unexpected? While you were uh, while you were there, um, one thing that uh, came up as doing as part of doing the research in, into the family, um, and it it we didn't include it in the documentary because it seemed like um, it was maybe slightly outside our story. But Granger had a very unusual childhood mm. uh, in the sense that his um, his father disappeared. Oh, wow. um, when Granger, either shortly before his birth or, or when Granger was still an infant, uh, his father went out with some people fishing and never came back. Wow. Um, and, it, you know, he was presumed to have drowned, but mm. the body was never found. And, and so Granger's own life kind of started with this um, absence of his biological father and and you know that led to his mother remarrying and Granger growing up with a, a large family of stepbrothers and sisters and his own siblings hmm. um but that, yeah it, it it that was something that we didn't know when we started and yeah. it, I think it sort of gave a sense to partly why the family um had approached Granger's own disappearance the way that they had Interesting. That that's actually a fascinating bit, tidbit that mm-hmm. we didn't have before. Yeah. Um, as far as Duncan goes, it's the home of a very large hockey stick. I'm sure you saw that. At some <laughs> yeah, point. Of course. Yeah. They always love to show you that when uh, when you're there with folks locals. Um, speaking of the locals, um, do you have any anecdotes you'd like to share about your your time in Duncan? Um. Not, not really. I mean, we we when I was there, um, we were shooting mainly at night, mm-hmm. so um, we didn't see a lot of people because yeah, we were we were out on the mountain and we were doing a lot of um, reenactments with smoke bombs and things like that. So maybe people have stories about us um, wondering what we were doing there out you there. Go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you were doing yeah the reenactments stuff. <laughs> yeah. If there was one thing that you'd like uh, folks to take away from this documentary, uh, what would that be? I, I think the thing that we were really struck by is how, even though it's been almost 40 years since Granger disappeared, he was he's still really important to the people in mm-hmm. his life. And I'm not sure that he knew that at the time. Um I think he cared really deeply about about his family in particular, um, but he might not have understood how important he was to other people. And mm-hmm. so it was it was really the sense of how 
deeply people can impact your life. You know, when you're a small kid um, growing up, that person can really mean a lot. And so um, at the end of the film, I that's uh, every time I see the end of it, I'm, I'm just less, left with that sense of how important we are to each other. I was definitely struck by that too, by the end of your film, but I'm not going to spoil it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it was very moving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yourself, are you a UFO skeptic or are you a believer? I was thinking about, the, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot, obviously. I, I'm really interested in science fiction. I love mm-hmm. science fiction and, um, you know, so the idea of there being um, alternate universes or or planets that are um, inhabited by other beings, that I am open to believing that. Um, I think that there are lots of things that happen in our world that we don't have a really clear yeah. explanation for, and examining these things more closely is is a good thing to do. For sure. I, I feel like you know, we're aligned there, too. I'm a bit of a, a skeptic when it comes to little green men, uh, but mm-hmm. I do I do believe that there's there's got to be something out there. Yeah. It's like the Carl Sagan billions and billions of stars. There's got to be some other folks looking back, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, I think that's it for us. Okay. Yeah. So amazing. Unless you have anything else that you'd like to talk about, or uh, what what's next for uh, for yourself and Alibi? Um, I I think I covered everything um, that I wanted to get in there. I mean, if, this is going to air after the show has been on. That's right. So right. Spaceman. I'm going to say it now. So Spaceman premiered on February 8th at 9 p.m. 9:30 Newfoundland on uh, CBC Docs POV. So if you missed it, don't worry. You can stream the doc on CBC Gem On Demand at watch.cbc.ca. To learn more about Spaceman, follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Spaceman CBC. And thank you, Jennifer Horbath, for your your kindness to come in and have a chat with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Great. Okay. (laughs) Amazing. Thanks so much. Yeah, that was that wasn't bad, was no, it? No, no, it wasn't okay. too bad. <laughs> and hopefully we'll we'll get a chance to talk again. I have some documentary ideas myself. But... Send them our way, honestly. <laughs> I might just. Yeah, no, I think we kind of got the bug with this now, so yeah. um we're looking for the next one. That was fun. Yeah, that was it was my first real sort of almost professional interview. <laughs> So did when you went in there, did you have uh, questions set that you were going to ask? Or did yeah, you I had to... some some questions written down um, that... Um, were you freeballing it? No, I wasn't doing a lot of that. So I, I was pretty prepared when I went in there, and uh, she knew what I was going to ask her, so she gotcha. had, had her answers prepared, but... Uh, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well done, Mikey. Thank well, you well, very well much. Well done, and she seems like a really cool, cool cat. I would agree. And I mentioned where you can go and watch the documentary. Mm-hmm. I, I fully recommend it. I've watched it three times. Oh, I've got to check already. this out. This is, it's, I love documentaries and I love this stuff. So I'm I'm checking it out probably tonight. Yeah, it's it's pretty fantastic yeah. stuff. Uh, so we're coming to the end of the show here. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. What a, what a, what a, I really dig this episode and I really like this fella. 
Yeah. You know, he, he seems like a, just a really interesting character who, who who met some kind of unfortunate uh, goodbye. He's the kind of guy who I would have kind of probably really dug a, a, hanging out with when I was a younger oh, kid. Oh, yeah. You know? uh, he, he, he sounds eccentric, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah. People like that are fun. And he seemed... Like a very gentle person, not an angry person, which is is kind of nice. There were people like that. I I remember in my life, uh, uh, one of my mentors was a guy who was an archaeologist, and he had done his uh, his thesis, his doctorate was on Genghis Khan. Oh, and so as we were working, we were working in uh, civil engineering together, uh, working for our the home my hometown, building you know, sidewalks and, and intersections and yep. things like that. And as we were out scouting things and, and uh, surveying things, he would regale me with stories of Genghis Khan and his brutality. Oh, that would be crazy. Yeah, it was very, very interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And I would have, like, uh, it would have been cool to just, you know, hang out with Granger and, and like, watch him building this stuff and maybe yeah. help him out. And that would, yeah, whew. Somebody who's that naturally talented to yeah. be able to to figure out how to put things together. Uh, I'm sure the thought of an alien spacecraft and how they fly had to be like the most perplexing problem. Oh, to yeah. Him. Like this challenge that he just yeah. has to solve. And like I would like, one of my first thoughts is, man, I'd love to photograph this guy. Because one of my, like, as you know, like I love passion. I love emotion. Mm -hmm. And to try to have that translate in photos, like I would have so loved Just hearing him talk, I guarantee you just hearing him talk about his passion, his thoughts, building the train, building the plane. He yeah. could have probably gone on for days of just excited talking. And that would be so fascinating to He would probably be a reality TV star oh, probably. Today. Yeah, he would be, he would totally have a, 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 a discovery show. Yeah, there would be something. Yeah. Or it would be a very long documentary on his success. Yeah. And we wouldn't have to uh, be talking about, as you said, his, his untimely end. Yeah. Or maybe still, uh, you know, yeah, who knows? flying around in space. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I like this episode. Good job, Mikey. All right. Before we go, we want to give some shout outs to our new Patreon patrons. And there's a, a whole... Uh, a heap and heap of them. A whole bunch of good eggs this yes. week. A new crate of good eggs. Yes. A crate of I get it. A crate. No, I get it. I'm just not laughing because it wasn't that funny. <laughs> Jenny Cromwell. Hey, Jenny. Jenny uh, of the Cromwell uh, clan. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're a, a clan uh, of Cromwells who are known for uh, taking over Eastern Dakota. Yeah, they they were foreign. There's North and South Dakota, but there's no East Dakota. If you have a North and a South, how can there not be an East and a West? It's just basic geograph. I mean, geography, geographing. Okay. Yeah, it's just clearly. And the Crom the Cromwells, they they they're the first settlers in in East Dakota. So I'm apologizing to Jenny right away. I don't know. She's probably thanking us for making her family lineage so. Uh, well known. There's Rita Coughlin from Kingston, Ontario. Hey, Rita, thank you. Home uh, of the hip. The hip, that's right. Tragically yeah, hip. You're wearing a shirt. Rachel Irvine from Beatrice, Nebraska. Oh, 
be lots interesting. Of, lots in of corn in Nebraska, apparently. I love corn. So yeah. thanks, thanks for thanks Rachel for all the corn. Shelley Labute from Chatham, Kent, Ontario. I worked with a director named Neil Labute, and he made a really crappy movie called Wicker Man. I oh, if, is that the? Uh, yeah, that he was the, the director he was, of Wicker he was Man. The director. He didn't Alan so, Smithy that one. No, yeah. he did not. Yeah. Alyssa Ganacheva from Leduc, Alberta. Leduc. Hey, hey, Alyssa. Leduc. The Leduc family was. Uh, the name of the family in your French primer when we were kids. Yeah, no, no. And there was Pierre Leduc. Okay. Was the dad, I believe, was Pierre. And the dog, his name was Pitou. Pitou Leduc. The, oh, man, that's a great name. Yeah. Was it like just letter P and, and number no. two? P-I-T-O-U. Pitou. Pitou. R2-Pitou. <laughs> exactly. April Dawn Chaplin from Liberty, Texas. Hey, April Dawn Chapman. Chaplin. Chaplin, Chaplin. Megan Moore. Megan Moore, yes. Mandy Moore's sister. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, a far better singer than Mandy Moore. And Mandy Moore's a great singer. But Megan, holy cow, you've got to hear her sing Star But Megan can't act, whereas Mandy is a good actor. Well, but the talent is equal because uh, Mandy's got half the vocal skills. Okay. So she's like 50% acting, 50% uh, vocal Where's Megan? Oh, yeah, you got to hear her sing Star Spangled Banner. You will just, oh. Like Whitney Houston. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not uh, like Roseanne Barr. <laughs> no. Uh, Alice Turner? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, Ted Turner's sister. Oh, interesting. Yep. Does she own CNN now? She's co-owner. Oh. Co-owner. One one-hundredth okay. of a share. But that's still a lot of cash. Christina Shepard from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hey, Christina. Nathan Tomporowski from Barrie, Ontario. Yeah, good old Barrie, Ontario, where my, Nathan. Where my good friend Mike, uh, God rest his soul, where he was from, uh, and his sister Dana still lives, and she runs a sports bar there oh, in cool. Barrie. Yeah. Cool, cool. Jay Anthus from Austin, Texas. Hey, Jay. I, Austin. I, I want to go to Austin someday. Pretty bad. Lindsay Shores from Stoofville, Ontario. Oh, okay. Stoofville. Uh, hi, Lindsay. Holly Callahan from Vancouver. Hey, Holly. I, I know uh, an O'Callahan. There you go. Just saying. Laura Kay from York, Ontario. Hey, Laura. Melanie Wolachenko from Summerland, BC. And I mentioned earlier, I yep. love that and the name of that place. Like, it, Like, how could it? How could it, like, all you can think of is that must be the best place in the world because the name, Summerland. Like, it's everybody Summerland. loves summer and you have a land of it. Don't they have good peaches in Summerland? I think that's Peachville. In or Park, Peachland? Sorry, Parksville. Parksville. Parksville is on the island. Yeah. Oh, whatever. Summerland's in the interior. Don't don't limit Parksville's uh, abilities. Man. Okay. Amanda Evans from Hamilton, Ontario, a.k.a. Hammertown. Hammertown, eh, Amanda? Aaron Hendricks from Garden City, Georgia. That's a good name. I don't know why. Hey, Aaron. It's cracking. Lisa Skicheri from Brisbane, Australia. I Australia. Was, I was just... Hello, nice lady. I was just in your neck of the woods, Lisa. I went to Brisbane, and I went on that big Ferris wheel you guys have there. Big old Ferris wheel. Yep, yep, yep. And I think I got my... I took some photos on... Well, that's where I got the photo of the guy flipping me the bird. Oh, right. Yeah, that was in that was in uh, Brisbane. Was he a carny that was flipping you the bird? No, we were, there was like a Game of Thrones kind of touristy chair that you can, in, in, in downtown. And so, of course, all of Martin and his family wanted their photos there. And that guy was just lingering behind. 
uh, when they were taking my photo. And he just flipped And so, he, like, I, I, you know, we're walking back, and he comes up to me, and he mutters something, and I think he's just asking for a change. And so I keep walking, and then he's like, uh, then I turn around and go, sorry, did you did you say you want your photo taken? He's like, yeah, I want my photo taken. And I'm like, oh, sure, no problem. So I take his photo, and he flips me the bird. There you go. Yep. Great <laughs> photo. Stella Chen from Montreal, Quebec. Hey, Stella. Thanks, Stella. Lindsay Rose Root from Bellingham, Washington. Man, that's got a nice ring to it. And Lindsay that's Rose Root. I fly out of the Bellingham uh, uh, Airport whenever we go to Vegas. We take the Allegiant Air. Uh, yeah, I've, as have I. And I can't tell you how many times I've been to Bellingham. Bellis Fair Mall every weekend as a kid. Yeah. Adam Lemoyne from Glace Bay, Nova Scotia. Good old Glace Bay. Hey, Adam. The home of McLean and McLean. My yes. two favorite. Uh, McLean's? Uh, well, Nova Scotian comedians <laughs> okay. that are so foul that uh, yes, I, I can't am. even get into any of the jokes that they yes. do. Good old McLean and McLean. Sue Bryant, uh, she's our friend here from yes. Surrey. Yes. And she does uh, true crimes of Cloverdale walks and Surrey uh, Center cemetery tours and all kinds of other cool stuff. We uh, got we to go on these I think so. Season. We need to interview yeah. Sue. Yes. She, she can tell us about some of these scary places. That's a the... great idea. We need to interview you, Sue. Yeah. Uh, Pam Sullivan uh, from Londonderry, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Pam. Meg McFarlane from Hamburg, Germany. Oh, look at us going international. Was hey. lost, Meg? Hey, Wiener Schnitzel. <laughs> Wiener Schnitzel. Hey, Meg. Uh, Kayla Kennedy. Yeah. Oh, that was tragic when her father was assassinated. JFK? Yeah. Or Robert? Uh, yes. Okay. Both of them. They were both her father. That's that's uncomfortable. It, it is. It is. Uh, and, uh, you know, RIP. My condolences, Kayla. Mid Kathy Maris Clavos from Vancouver. Hey. That's more Vancouver. Hey, hey. Miranda Cabalatis from also from Vancouver. Look at this. I'm Vancouver representing. Hello, Miranda. Yeah, so local folks. There's yeah. a few locals there. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much to our patrons, past and present, for your pledges. We really appreciate your support of the show. Some of you have been there for a very long time. Oh. Like Adam. Adam's yeah. been with us right from, he was our very first patron. And, oh, was he? And he is still ticking along. He's an OG. He's an OG He's patron. He's an OG. Uh, if you want to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. Or for a one-time support, you can send us some donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. And we did get some donut money this week from Savannah Shahan. Oh, hey, Savannah. And Lewis Halkett. He oh. sent us a big old donation. Lewis. Thanks, Lewis. Lewis, thank you. Uh, Shelby also from our meetup. Oh. Uh, she gave me a couple of books. Oh, yes, meetup. okay, yes, yes. And she said, I don't have a credit card, so here's a donation for the show. So what? What? A little bit of donut money. Man, the people at that meetup, that was so great. Yeah, it was fantastic. That was so, so great. So if you missed it, we will do another one in yeah. Vancouver. I Probably at that same venue because it was excellent. It, went, yeah, it went, went over perfectly. Yeah. And it was nice. We had that whole upstairs, and it was a little, so it's not like you're, you're crammed in, oh. Yeah. That's the people. Each and every one of you. Some of you I didn't get to talk to as much as I wanted, but wow. I just yeah. every single person I talked to I left there feeling like what great We are great lucky humans. dudes to have, have such great listeners for sure. And it's just it's so crazy how um instantaneously you feel like friends. Yeah, like Nelson. We met uh Nelson Baptista there yep. from Coquitlam and 
yeah, like right away felt a good affinity with this guy. Seems yeah, like a pretty yeah. cool dude. Yeah, so many, so many of the people I and talked to. Our old to. buddy Sean from yeah. where we used to work. Yes, yeah, so, oh, Cooper. Yeah. Uh, damn you, Cooper. Scooper. Um, yeah, so if you don't already, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show. Uh, you can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out our website, www.darkproteen.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Give us a follow or a like on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly, tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is an important thing and very powerful. It totes is. It totes is totes my goats. My goats is. It really, 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 really is. And join us in our closed Facebook group called the Yumber Yard. Yep. Just search for Yumber Yard. It's my misspelling of lumber. It's full of good eggs who call themselves Yumber Jacks or Yumber Yaks. I still, you must. I still have a photo. I, I'm going to post it tonight in there of me as a Yumber Jack. There you go. Um, so we do have a promo this week, and it is from Steph, who hosts a podcast called One Eye Open. Oh. So here's Steph. Like, watch your back. Hello, I'm Steffi, the host of One Eye Open, my very own true crime podcast. I write, research, and produce each episode from my fancy little room here in England. Join me as I delve deeply into mysterious murders and painful punishments. The terrible tales are real, and although dark, I'm sure they'll appeal. I've been described as the Mary Poppins of true crime, but you'll need more than a spoonful of sugar to help these crimes go down. I'd recommend a gin and tonic, a large one. If you like your true crime served with ice, lemon, and a touch of class, then come and find me, Steffi, on my podcast, One Eye Open. I'll be waiting for you. So check out Steffi on One Eye Open. We'll have a link to her show in our show notes as well. You had me at murder, Steffi. <laughs> oh, dear. So that's it for this week. Wow, we did it again. We seem to do it weekly. Isn't that amazing? It's bonkers. Don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Ciao.